It's actually Leela here in Bristol and I'm sitting in my flat drinking tea with my good friend and fellow aunt, Camilla Money. Um, a few weeks ago she published her second book, Other Than Mother, Choosing Childlessness with Life in Mind. And we're going to have um, a bit of a chat about her experience of writing the book. So we were ordained together 11 years ago and the whole night time that I've known Camilla Money... This book has been gestating. I think, I think, uh, well, I'm going to ask her, can you remember the moment of conception? I can. Yeah, I can, actually. It was back in 2004, and it was just after I'd had lunch with my good friend from school days, Vicky, and she had told me the happy news of her first pregnancy with her son. And I'd been through a phase in the previous, gosh, probably... Mm, before five years of thinking of whether to not have children, because I always assumed I would have children, and I was in the process of realising that wasn't compulsory, after all. Um, and what confirmed it was having a dream the day after I saw her, um, and that dream really confirmed that I wouldn't have children. And then I found myself very, very rapidly going online to look for a book about the subject of not having children, because I like to read a book about things, if I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I couldn't find the book. I found a few books, a few book, very good books that I've read, um, but I couldn't find the book I wanted, so I ended up thinking, right, that's the book I'm going to write. So it became my first book, in a sense. So yeah, that was that was the moment of conception. And then mm. many years followed. Many years. Many years. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you describe that journey of many years that was writing the book? I'd describe it as... Um, yeah, I, I can't say I was engaged with the book for the whole time. I mean, I was engaged with the thread, in a sense, for the whole time. Hmm. But there were varying levels of actually doing research, um, talking to people, doing more kind of academic research, as well as talking and listening to people's stories. But it was always something that was on my mind, because even though I decided not to have children, and that was a very definite decision at that, that point you know, of conception, it was still, for me, it was still a big going forth, in a sense, of going forth from the idea of motherhood and the reality of motherhood, because I just always assumed I'd be a mother. So it was, yeah, it was making a decision and then gradually starting to write this book, which did come, you know, did come very easily at the beginning. Um, and I, I think it was latterly it was more difficult. The last four years of trying to finish it were harder because I think I, I really needed for myself, I needed to know I wasn't going to have children. And I think when I reached 40, it was becoming clearer that I definitely wouldn't be having children. But I wanted to know for sure that I wasn't going to change my mind. And, and other people have said to me, well, you didn't need to do that. It wouldn't have mattered in a way because you're talking about conscious choice around childbearing. But it did matter to me that I was clear about that in presenting mm. this book for some reason. So mm. it was quite bumpy. It was quite bumpy. And it's even a bit bumpy having released the book because it still challenges part of me that had that assumption that I'd be a mother because it's so, I think it's so deeply ingrained. Um, and I live, you know, I, I inhabit, as it were, a woman's body. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it's still... I'm definitely not one of those women who never wanted children. It was very clear and it's been easy. It wasn't like that for me. Mm. Um, but I think, hope, well, hopefully, because it has been a lot more nuanced, hopefully the, I can communicate something of that through the book and in the book mm. to other women who are not sure or the time isn't right or they're not in the relationship they want to be in or whatever, or they can't have children or you know, possibly unable to. So, um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't ever see it as, as black and white as it's sometimes portrayed, as mm. it's often portrayed. Mm. So, yeah, that was... Uh, I think it's one of the striking things about the book and something that works very well that you do so openly share your journey and the process of that journey as a way of, mm -hmm. well, in a way, companioning yeah. 
yeah. others in that in that process. Yeah, yeah, because I think it's a process where we culturally we don't have many companions for women who aren't sure. Mm. There's a lot of views and opinions about it now, very anti, very pro, you know, but which has become quite polarised, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, there isn't a lot of companioning going on, I think, mm. which which we kind of need. And it is a very intimate subject, it's a very personal subject, um, and quite a charged subject as well. So. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And in what ways have you been aware of writing the book as a spiritual practice, as a Dharma practice? Mm. I think the, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind is that sense of going forth identity-wise from motherhood and being part of a family and all that would have brought... So going forth from that, given that I am quite close to my more extended family, or very close to my extended family in some ways, um, I work with them and, and see them. Um, so yeah, a sense of going forth and a massive change of direction. And I think it was this book, that writing this book, because I wrote a previous book, um, Meditating with Character, but this was a book that made me realise actually writing is is a mainstay of my life now it's not just something I do or I keep secret I mainly used to keep secret about writing whereas I've I've always written but I've never identified as being a writer so there was also something about the going forth of hiding hiding my writing as well as yeah my identity changing in a sense mm. or more moving direction um and the loss of that and the gain of that you know it's sort of this worldly wind territory isn't it so the gains and losses in not being a mother mm. Uh, and also for me, the Bodhisattva ideal has been very important throughout it in terms of um, an image I think of a lot are the legs of Tara, you know, stepping into the world and sitting up in meditation practice. That's, that's one of my central koans, you know, that balance. And so for me, this has been a really important expression of the Bodhisattva ideal, one mm. an apprenticeship Bodhisattva ideal of wanting to engage in the world in the in the work I do, in the writing I do. And that, and for me, I did realise quite early on in my 20s that I'm quite good at stretching myself thinly. I'm getting better, but I can do that. And being a mother as well would just have... I couldn't have kept one leg up and one leg down, you know. So mm. there's a going forth as well as wanting to express and live that Bodhisattva ideal, I think. And, of mm. course, you can be a mother and resonate with the Bodhisattva ideal. Of course you can, but for me, it wasn't that wasn't the way it was going to be. So. Mm. So I think those two things in particular, and I think just the, mind, the mindfulness of getting back to writing the book in the last year or two, really thinking I wasn't going to be able to do it because it's a hot subject and that fear of criticism and the fear of mm. negative comment and the fear of all sorts of stereotypes that get sort of thrown at childless women, well, women who've chosen to be child-free. And that was quite scary. So I think it was quite good to have meditation practice, to breathe and and just, yeah, and recall the worldly winds a lot. I did a lot, well, I do a lot of that generally, but just thinking about the worldly winds and, but yeah, but having a sense, but this book really matters. The message of it does really matter mm. more than my fear, really. Mm. So. Mm. <laughs> and I know you talked about how your connections in the Sangha and particularly with my tray, your preceptor were an important. Yeah, part of that. yeah my tray was fabulous at, at um, really encouraging me to keep going with it. Mm. Um, just a quiet, gentle influence there. From the word going, when I first told her about the book, she was just very encouraging about it. Mm. Um, and maybe because she's known me all through that time, she could see the effect that decision was having on me and how it was panning out in my life as well. So, mm. yeah, that was very important. And I was, I've been very lucky because not all my friends have children. A lot of people who are on my age, most of their friends would have, you know, would be in a family with the children and in the Sangha I'm not. And that's a real blessing to have friends of different ages living in different um, 
living different lifestyles. So I think that's a real bonus of the Sangha, a real benefit mm. Mm. as well. I did want to ask you what kind of reactions and responses have you had from people to the book? Well, so far, so far, so good. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of appreciation. Whenever I've written, I've written a few things published about this theme before the book, and I've always expected criticism, and I've always got people saying, I've never spoken to anyone about this apart from my closest friend or closest partner, and we should be talking about this stuff in, in the mainstream. We should just be talking about it as, as part of everyday conversations. So there's this huge kind of, I don't know, taboo or lack of visibility around whether we have children or not and other big life decisions. Um, so no, I've had a lot of positivity. And surprisingly, it's often women whose kids are leaving home or children are leaving home as young adults now who are as interested in the book as women in their 20s, 30s and indeed men in their 20s or 30s or anyone who wants kids of that age who are interested. And that's a bit of a surprise to me because it's people who are looking at their lives and maybe saying, well, why did I have kids? You know, and what am I doing in the ne next phase of my life? So it's interesting, you never know the effect here of what, 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 what will happen, but that's been an interesting result of it so far. Mm. Um, and also, yeah, and, and, a, and a good response from the community of women who are child-free by, by circumstance, so not by choice, they can't have children, because I think there has been quite a split between women who've chosen not to have children, women who can't, mm. and at times, yeah, at times that hasn't been so companionable as I think it should be really, so... That's one of my passions, I think, is to... This is about communication through difference. It's not about setting up camps or something. So mm. I hope that... Yeah, I, my hope is that it can apply to any big life decision as well. It's about conscious decision-making, after all, rather than not having children. You know, that's important to me, but that's that's just what I've chosen, not, not what everyone's going to choose. Mm. Yes, that theme um, about conscious choice seems to be really the the sort of backbone of the book in a yeah. way. I yes. if you'd like to say a bit more about that. Yeah, I think, well, in the words of Bante, in the words of Sangracito, it is the, the, what, what sort of underlies the book is life, life is king, his poem Life is King, because it is about not having children or deciding consciously whether or not to have children. Um, and that is, you know, that's with the whole of life in mind, which is, I'm, I realise that's really idealistic in a certain way, but in another way it isn't. In another way well, why don't we live with life being king in mind more on a more daily basis, given the amount of children who are alive who are neglected or abused or homeless or without parents, you know, as well as the kids who come along and they're not chosen. You know, people often don't have kids, don't choose to have kids, they just have kids. Um, it's very common, it's acceptable, it's just the way it is. Um, so just being really aware of, of what we do, how we live, how we live and how we treat the life that's already here, and other than human life. I mean, part of the book is looking at ecological, environmental concerns. And that isn't just about population, but it's it's also about runaway consumption and how we're living, you know, we're living in the red, as it were, and the effect on other than human life there as well. So it's much broader about the whole of life, not just not just our small families. I think that's the other thing I'm quite keen on, is that consciousness opening us up to the effect our lives have. Um, and knowing, yeah, knowing that actions have consequences, I guess. Mm. Mm. and alongside that I get that sense of how clearly you communicate that that well I want to use the word plea actually it's quite a strong word for tolerance of of difference yeah. without yeah. um without antagonism I yeah. know one of the themes has been that um 
there's a bit of an assumption that if one is voluntarily childless, one's mm. a bit of a child hater. Absolutely, yeah. And I know you're a very beloved and loving auntie. <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Would you like to say a bit more about that? Yeah, that's been really important. And, I, and again, I think my big fear was, oh God, everyone will think I hate kids. And I actually love kids and I actually like looking at people's holiday photos. I'm a really, I'm a rare person in that way. I'm actually quite interested in people's lives, <laughs> um, whether they're big people or little people. Um, so there was, yeah, there was also a big sense in writing the book. About three or four years ago, I had quite a turning round of, of being quite immersed in the lack that surrounds the area of childlessness and realised it's more about choosing life, even though choosing is also, you know, a slightly complex notion. And what I realised through that period was that it was, yeah, not having children wasn't about somehow kind of deadening to that sense of creativity and nurturing. And if, if anything, it was enhancing it. So for me, being an auntie to my four, you know, my nephew and my three nieces, it's a really important part of expressing that nurturing and the sense of legacy of the next generation. So, you know, I feel quite lucky that I've got nephews and nieces. Um, but expressing expressing creativity and nurturing, I think if we had in our culture, and maybe in Sangha, in our Sangha as well, maybe, more rites of passage, more initiations, more role models um, of women and men who are consciously childless um, and supported in that and can still express their creativity, that what a great thing that would be, particularly in mainstream culture, mm. rather than being seen as odd or you're going to regret it or you're being selfish or all these other sort of these, these stereotypes that are uh, bandied around. Mm. 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 That makes sense. It does, and it really brings to mind uh, something you and I have talked about a lot over the years, which is your an idea I remember you talking about a decade ago about the importance of baby-sized projects. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Mm. So would you say the book's been one of those baby-sized projects? It has. It has. So, so the baby-sized project is... It's kind of part three of the book. So the book, I'll just say briefly to make to contextualise it. So part one looks at the sort of broad backdrop against having children. Part two looks at the actual decision-making process. And part three looks at the life beyond the decision. And baby-sized projects are an important part of part three. Um, and yeah, I'd definitely say Other Than Mother has probably been the baby-sized project par excellence. <laughs> <laughs> it, took, it took how long many years? 14 years to... To actually do the work, 17 years to think about it. And, you know, so, yeah, I won't write another one like this, so I it's hope. Al- it's almost come of age. <laughs> it's almost come of age, it's almost left home. So, yeah, although I wrote another book in, in the meantime, which was also a baby-sized project, um, this one, I think, has taken me well and truly into that, that post-decision-making horizon. So, for me, there's a real sense of ease around not having children as well, you know, because, yeah. of, the, because of that ability or the, the capacity to channel that creativity, I suppose into writing or teaching or meditating or whatever it is, digging the allotment. So mm. I have many channels, which is very fortunate because not everyone does have that you know, chance to express what matters to them mm. in that way or they're not supported to. So, mm. Yeah, she has numerous children. Numerous children, <laughs> <laughs> just not physical ones. <laughs> and it crossed my mind that there's an interesting area to reflect on, um, when we physically have children, we're, mm. we're passing on a genetic lineage, a genetic connection. And in the Sangha, when we're handing on what we've learned, we're, we're handing on something not tangible, but I don't know. I don't know whether you have anything. 
you'd like to say around that? It's a subject that interests me. Yeah. Certainly the sense of, of legacy. Some sort of legacy or some sort of... If you haven't got children, it's important that... It's not just as simple as we've made our mark, I don't think, is it? It's more than that. It's... I don't know. Is it a life well lived? Um, we've made our mark. And I think there is, for me, there has been a strong sense of wanting to honour that need to have a sense of legacy. And I think the way I make sense of it is in terms of, well, what's the, what's the world like that we're leaving behind? You know, when mm. we die, when we take our last breath. Um, yeah, how, how, how was our life lived? How, how well did we love? Um, and also, yeah, what, what, what is the world like that we're leaving behind for all of our children, whether we've given birth to them or not, really. And that's a subject close to my heart. It's a subject I feel quite gloomy about at the moment in the face of climate change. Uh, but I think carrying on acting in a creative and nurturing way is, well, can only help that, I think. Mm. But yeah, that sense of legacy does feel very important. Um, and I think book writing. Yeah, I think you're right. I think my books are my children. If, if, <laughs> if I'm going to have children, they're my children. Because there's something nice about writing a book. Because um, I'm a bit of a nerd, it's it's nice to know the ISBN number is in the British Library. No, <laughs> that really appeals to my me, my inner archivist or something, <laughs> my historian. <laughs> so, with this current book baby of yours, I'm wondering what what are your hopes for its future? Gosh, um, I mainly just hope it it is a support for people who are really stuck with that decision or are feeling ambivalent about it because there can be a lot of ambivalence around this subject area, or are feeling under pressure, maybe, because there's a lot of pronatal, you know, there's a lot of pronatal conditioning. There's a lot of pressure to have kids still, even though I think it's less than when we were teenagers. Um, I think it's still there, implicitly. So a chance for people to take a breather and have some support in that companionable way you talked about. I hope that comes through, that sense of having some support with that decision. Um, yeah, and it gives, it. it does open up, more dialogues around difference. I think that's my main hope, mm. whether we're parents or not, whether we're without child through choice or circumstance or happenstance. It can just open up dialogues that we think we really need to be having, actually, at this point mm. in 2016. Um, I think we're a bit behind. So, yeah, that's my hope. More dialogues, more tolerance and understanding. Mm. And I think that comes through very clearly in the book. Oh, good, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So one final question. Mm. Next book, next baby? Next baby. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, well, there's two babies jostling as twins. I don't know if they're twins. <laughs> jostling for um, lead position. One, one which is largely ancest ancestrally based, if that's the word, about my great-grandmothers. Um, it might be more than my great-grandmothers, I'm not sure, but they're, they're currently um, telling me stuff. Or it might also be a book I wrote, well, some, some many words I wrote a few years ago about my experience of, of working at the allotment linked to impermanence and also linked to ancestry actually interestingly they've been there for quite a while my ancestors they made an appearance about seven years ago and they haven't left so yeah. oh and they were market gardeners and they were market the gardeners indeed for many generations so yeah we'll see one of those two or, or maybe mm. some sort of combination of both <laughs> well watch this space mm. thank you very much thank you such a <laughs> thank you and the book's quite easily found if you just Google other than mother choosing childlessness with life in mind.